We are looking at the book of Matthew still. So we're, we're going to be taking, as we said, 20 years over this. We're going to try and take this quite forensically and uh, look through the Word of God. That's a, another big thing for us is trying to study the Word of God and seeing what he's got to say to us. Do you know, I just, um, this is in no way a critical comment. Uh, this is just an observation. What I've noticed over the last, well, I, I, I first started leading churches in, in the mid-90s. What I've noticed is that there's a lot of teaching out there which can temporarily change your thoughts but it's only really the gospel and the bible that will change your life and so you know there's a difference between what is effectively life coaching and biblical teaching one thing in the power when you teach the bible in the power of the spirit actually has a profound impact on your life and your destiny uh, you can spin a yarn and, and try and come up with things that change your thoughts uh, but that's a temporary thing but when we actually forensically look at the bible that has a real massive, long-lasting effect on your life. Um, just to just to dial it back a bit, um, I I can I said to a couple of guys we were praying before the service. I can never remember what stories I've told or what what illustrations I've used. Um, I frankly don't even know where my keys are right now, uh, so um, which is a bit concerning. But we'll find them. Uh, but I, you know, if I ever say anything, you think I've heard Carl say that before. Just think of it like looking at a beautiful Picasso, which you'd look at time and time again, or like the parables in the Bible. You do read them time and time again, so just just suffer with the repeated stories. But I can't remember if I if I've mentioned this, but uh, some of you all know because I've probably told you in conversation. But I was in Madrid for uh, a conference. Um, uh, three weeks ago, but it wasn't a great one. It was one of these ones where you you fly in to a conference hotel at the airport and then you just sort of we were we were just stuck in a room with a, an American management consultant for three days it was pretty horrible not that it was an American management consultant or anything like that but it, was, it wasn't very nice but anyway I managed to book a flight um, to, to go in on the Saturday night so I could escape around Madrid on Sunday and I was with a, a mate of mine called Darren who leads a church in Lincoln called Chav Church which is really cool. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's describes himself as a Chav pastor, and he's worked on a housing estate. He said, my sole mission in life is to reach Chavs with the gospel. In fact, when we were commissioning him to plant the church, he's one of my guys that I oversee in, in Elim, and when, uh, when they were commissioning him, uh, someone had this prophecy, and they said, I just, I just feel, Darren, that the Lord has sent you to people who go on Jeremy Kyle. And he went, he went, my mum's been on that three times. It was really funny. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, so I was with him. So there's a witness to what happened, is, is basically what I'm saying. And we were watching, we were strolling around Madrid, and we were watching these um, uh, African street performers doing these amazing gymnastics and acrobatics in the square. And um, I was quite, it was really good, actually. It was like Covent, Madrid version of Covent Garden. And while I'm watching it, I suddenly felt this little nudge inside to to walk up this alleyway that was opposite the square. It was just right across this big square. And I, at times that you think, is this the Holy Spirit or psychosis? You know, you've got to make sure, haven't you, that what is this the Lord? Um, so I just ignored it. And then I sort of felt this urge again. So I said to Darren, look, we've got to leave. And he said, well, I want to watch these guys. I went, no, I, I want to walk up this, this road. So long story short, we left and we walked up an alleyway to find that the alleyway opened up into what was basically loads of sex clubs and lap dancing clubs. 
So now I'm being, was this the Holy Spirit or not? You know, what's this? And, and this guy walked up to me, Darren's standing there, and he said, and now I can't tell you exactly what he said to me, because it's a bit rude. But he basically said, would you gentlemen like some girls? In words, a bit different to that. So I said, no, thank you very much. And then he, so he walked on, and he, he walked around in front of us, handing his postcards with women on. He said, come on, guys, you want some girls? And I, so I said, I, showed him, I said, mate, I've been married for over 21 years, you know. He went, come on, he said, get some girls. I went, no, no, no. And then suddenly, something clicks in my head. Uh, it was only a couple of weeks ago, this, a few weeks ago. I said to him, I'm a Christian, mate, I follow Jesus Christ, so I don't need that. And then this other thing clicked in my head. I looked at him and I said, and you, you knew Jesus, didn't you? And it sort of blurted out of my mouth. You knew Jesus, didn't you? And he was wearing a T-shirt, this young guy, and his arms exploded in goosebumps. And he dropped his hands to his side. He dropped some of the postcards. So utterly shocked. And he said, look at my arms. I said, you did, didn't you? You knew Jesus once. What are you doing? He said, oh, I, I, I was brought up in an evangelical church. He wasn't Spanish. He said, I was brought up by evangelical parents. He actually used that word, in an evangelical church. I said, what are you doing? Right in sex clubs. He said, I walked away from my faith. So I just said, to, to cut the, the conversation short, we had a bit of a chat. And I said to him, look, I was watching these street performers around the corner. And, and I think Jesus sent us to Madrid to meet you because God wants you back. He's not forgotten you. He wants you back. And he said, his eyes all sort of whirled up in tears and we ended up laying hands on him and praying for him in this alleyway surrounded by sex clubs. And then we sort of had a prayer time and left him and then when we walked back down to see if he was still there later, about 20 minutes later, he was sitting on the step with his head in his hands. You think, that is amazing. I mean, because the confidence was terrible. <laughs> but I thought, what? that's the sort of thing the Lord would do. Put you on a plane to Madrid to meet a guy who'd walked away from his faith. But then I started to think about something else. I thought, and that's how much God loves you. That even though he's involved in the sex industry, promoting lap dancing clubs, effectively brothels, God's still not forgotten him. That's amazing. And then you start to think about Jesus' death and his resurrection for a sex club promoter. And he still loves him. And, and, and one day, this guy brings his life back, which I'm sure, I'm pretty persuaded he will. I've let Chav pass to, onto him, you know. If, if, he, if he does, then one day he'll stand before Jesus and just like that song we sang, God will look on him and see his son. And that's amazing. And then it makes me think, how many people are out there in Ches Vegas need that kind of interception and all it takes is a comment all it takes is a moment and I'm not 
I'm not massively into that. It was just, it was just one of those Holy Spirit moments, which is a lesson, isn't it? Because when the Holy Spirit moves like that, if you don't catch hold of it, he never, he never moves like that again. You know, I think when you get these little urges, just go for them. It's worth looking stupid for, isn't it? Don't you think? But how much does God love this guy? And then when you see stuff like that, it just brought home to me what our faith is all about. This kind of radical invasion of God's kingdom into people's lives. I mean, it's dynamically transformational. I mean, I'm sure this guy's got a bumpy road ahead, but he's never going to forget that, is he? I'm not going to forget that either. But that's the gospel. It's radical, radical transformation, interception of people's lives because we follow one who died and rose again. So hold that in your head. And we're going to read Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to quickly blast through this and then we're going to move to communion so Dan I was away last week but Dan I believe preached through John the Baptist preparing the way in the message of repentance and baptism and then we come to this in verse 13 of chapter 3 in Matthew then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John but John tried to deter him saying I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me and Jesus replied let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And then you get this remarkable picture at verse 16. And it is remarkable. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I loved, who I love. With him I am well pleased. I said loved because I got my words confused with beloved. Because in some of your translations it will say beloved which is a particular word in the Greek, agapetos, which has a very profound meaning for us, which we'll look at in a bit. So just a couple of things, a couple of bullet point things in terms of Bible study, uh, just to cover off. What does it mean when Jesus replied, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness? And why did Jesus need to be baptised? I mean, John's preaching a message of repentance and baptising people for repentance. And then Jesus is baptised and says, you know, he doesn't say, I must do this. It's just like, we, we, us, we have to do this to fulfil all righteousness. You think, what is going on there? Because we believe, don't we, that Jesus was without sin, so he wouldn't be baptised for repentance. It's actually a different baptism we see here for Jesus. So... What does it mean when he says we must do this to fulfill our righteousness? Well, I think there's just a couple of very interesting things uh, just to note. There's a very interesting little snippet in John chapter 1. Uh, we'll take this from verse 32, um, which gives you some insight. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, that's Jesus, and I myself didn't know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me 
The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So that little snippet in John 1 verse 33 fills in a little tiny gap for us because it's missing from the, the Matthew narrative. What you actually see there is John saying, I was uncertain if Jesus was the Messiah. But his baptism is a sign that he is the chosen one. And at his point of baptism, this remarkable picture is you actually see the Trinity together really for the first time. The voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love. The spirit descends like a dove. Note it says, like a dove. It doesn't mean he had a pigeon land on his head. It was like a dove. So you've got the voice, the spirit, and the son together at his point of, point of baptism. So it was a massive affirmation for John, who was the kind of the herald of the coming kingdom. We get from that that even though John the Baptist and Jesus may have known each other, John still was not sure if he was the Messiah. And there's a very interesting other little occasions in John the Baptist's life. When John was about to be killed, he did send his disciples to Jesus' disciples to make sure if he was the Messiah. Do you remember? He said, go back and, and ask him, are you the Messiah? And the message came back, which is very intriguing. Uh, tell John, Jesus said to the disciples, go and tell John, but, but you know, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor, which is often the missing link for the church, you know, this kind of message of radical justice for the poor and the broken. So there were times of uncertainty, actually, for John the Baptist, and you kind of get this feeling that when uh, disciples went back with that message just before his death, you feel that John the Baptist was able to die in peace, actually, because he had proclaimed the coming kingdom, he had pointed to Jesus, and now he's utterly sure at that point he was able to die in peace because his job had been done. And so you see this little uncertainty here. But so for, for Jesus, this was a, a kind of radical declaration that Jesus had set foot on the planet, that the Messiah was here. And when I read this, because I'm a little bit militant about this kind of stuff, I think this was almost a declaration of war against the forces of darkness at that point. And of course, after his baptism, he goes into the desert to be tempted and he fronts out the enemy and he wins. It, you know, we, we can't soften these verses because you can read them in 21st century eyes and you think, oh, it's, it's, oh, it's lovely. How lovely? That's lovely. There's a dove and a nice voice. And, but actually, this is warfare kingdom of God's here we're going to battle and this is this is the message of the kingdom it intercepts a bloke like the Madrid guy you know that's what this is all about so this is this is massive stuff so for one in one sense it's revealing the Messiah in another sense I think uh, fulfilling all righteousness it's kind of a prophetic pointer to Jesus death and resurrection well very much so really because you know the passages in Romans 6, you'll know these where it says we're baptised into his death and we, we uh, you know, the water in baptism is symbolising death. And when you come up out of the water, it symbolises resurrection. So it was kind of pointing towards what Jesus was going to do. So, I mean, in one sense, it's a declaration of war. 
But then to take it a step further, it actually points to Jesus' suffering as well. His ministry is commissioned with a declaration of sacrifice and suffering. And this pleased God. You know, I mean, that, that is huge, really. And, and again, just to briefly cover these points off, when I, when I talk to people who have not yet been baptised by immersion, which is obviously what we believe as a church, that we do, we practice that, understanding that other people have other traditions, but that's what we believe from Scripture. Actually, you, you are identifying with Jesus at that point and saying, I die to my old life, I'm raised to my new life, I'm, I'm now following in obedience and sacrifice. My life is now different. And we have got a baptismal service coming up, and obviously it would be remiss of me not to mention it if you've not yet been baptised by immersion. We are really just following the footsteps of Jesus and being obedient. We believe it's an ordinance. I, it's, a, it's a command that we, we do this as a church. Um, and it's one of the most profound things you can do. So it is an example to us. And I found for me, um, I, I knew I had a call on my life, uh, for want of a better expression, to be a preacher of the gospel. I didn't know it was called an evangelist or anything like that at the time, but I knew that's what I wanted to do in my life, and I had not yet been baptised. But the day I was baptised and I went under the water, I remember this distinct impression from the Lord, like, now you can go forward. And I think it was within nine months I'd gone through the Baptist Union's equivalent of SAS selection and had been picked out to be a Baptist minister at that point, and, and then I got badged a few years later and uh, became a preacher but I felt it was that moment of obedience to me was really, really important. And if anything, it's, it's that. You know, you're saying, I, I, I give my life to this. So if you're any doubts about that, you've got questions about it, we'd love to unpack that with you and talk about it. It does make a significant difference. But then, you see this phenomenal statement. This is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Which just proves that the gospel initiated from Essex, doesn't it? I'm well pleased. Got that, didn't you? It's a little giveaway there. Not, not going to go into it, but definitely the roots of Christianity are from Romford. But you think, what is that? Is, that is a profound thing. I was, I was musing on this while I was walking my dog. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And I started to think, well, he's not really done anything yet other than live his life, a sinless life. So in one sense, again, you could say, well, it's God affirming that sinless life until that moment. But then I started to think a little bit differently, and I thought, that's interesting. Jesus starts his ministry from the point of being affirmed, even though he hasn't done anything. We're not very good at that, I thought to myself. We like people to do things before we say we're happy. You know, we are born, aren't we, with the expectation that we're going to be loved unconditionally, I think. You know, you obviously don't remember what it's like to be a baby, but we, we expect to be loved, don't we? Kids just want to be loved. And I think you carry that all through your life you that's not weak that's that's we're built to be in community we're built to 
experience love and you know that unconditional giving of appreciation and and yet we're in a situation in our society I think where we we strive to earn that all the time and some of you will feel this more than others very often we can be a disappointment can't we or fail to live up to people's expectations have you noticed that some of you if you like your parents or something or friendships there are some people you just can never please and you can live with this kind of brooding sense of failure but Jesus started his ministry with his dad saying to him with you I'm well pleased and I love you so I, I, I looked in the Bible for where the same word appears because it just started to interest me and, and I found it in, in John 15, 17, when Jesus says, this is my command, love one another. It's the same word. So it's saying this, this love that God demonstrated to Jesus, we are to love each other in the same way. You see it in Corinthians, you see it in Romans, you see it all over the place. And then I started to process this and think, do you know what, maybe just in the little things it makes such a big difference. The way we treat each other, the way we talk about each other. And I know for me, because I'm a very task-orientated person, I can fail to say well done to people or thank you or just show appreciation because you just get busy. But sometimes just to stop and appreciate someone is a massive thing, isn't it? Those little acts of kindness make a massive difference, don't they? I mean, it's huge. I think I, I, well, Jesus is just about to head out into the desert. He's about to take on the forces of darkness and he goes into it knowing that his dad is pleased with him and that he loves him. I was sitting in my office uh, about a month ago, six weeks ago, twiddling me thumbs you know thinking what should we do next what what more what chaos can we cause next and and i thought oh, you know i'm just gonna i'm gonna get some get my pa to buy some cards and some chocolate and i'll send some i thought in my head i thought i'll send a man chocolate around i get a lion bar because that's a that's a proper bar of chocolate isn't it? i'll send i'll send the church planters or a bar of chocolate i thought it might melt in the post but the thought counts isn't it it's the thought that counts so I said, can you go and get some, while I'm at these meetings, can you go and get some cards from the shop and some chocolate? And she came back, Rachel, my PA, she came back with a box of Freddos. Now, that's not man chocolate. In fact, it's so unman chocolate, I didn't even know what a Freddo was. Um, I'd never eaten one before. But for those of you who don't know what a Freddo is, it's a frog made from Cadbury's. Um, hmm. So... Uh, and then, and then the, the, the cards were, were lighthouses. So, okay. A bit random. Fog and a lighthouse. So there's a connection. So um, I wrote these cards out. I thought I'd do five at a time. And I'll stick a Freddo in. And I'll say, thinking of you, praying for you, well done, you're doing a cracking job. 
And then we do, we, we, we'll send them off and we'll, we'll just sit in the office and we'll pray for each one of these church planters and we'll send them a, send them a Freddo. Anyway, I thought nothing more of it. And I got this remarkable email back from one of our church planters in Birmingham, which went like this. I'm currently on a diet. And I don't know what sort of diet this is, but apparently it's a diet that allows you a treat. I don't know those sort of things. So um, uh, my diet allows me a treat, and the calorie count for my treat is, is um, a small portion of chocolate. And what you don't know is that I bought a whole box, a box of Freddos. Um, I came in late from work, because it's sort of what we call bivocational. A lot of our church plants have jobs, and they're planting a church. In her case, she's a, a senior NHS director type. She's really busy and planting a church. So I came in late from work, and I was really excited because it was Friday. And on a Friday, I have my Freddo. But when I got home, my teenage son had eaten the entire box. <laughs> so I felt like crying. Um, so I sat down to have my, my diet dinner, and then flopped in the sofa, and I felt really upset. And then I um, looked at my post. And there was a letter from you. And I thought, oh, no. You know, what's gone wrong now? But it wasn't. It was a card with a Freddo in it. And she said, to think that God loves me that much, that he knew my son would eat the Freddos, but arranged for you to send one through the post. She said, how remarkable is that? She said, it has totally changed my weekend. Now, apparently a bit dismayed about this, but I think she based the whole sermon on Freddo's on a Sunday, which is another conversation for another time. But I thought, wow, that, you know, you've got the big scale scuff like Madrid, then you've got the little gesture of sending someone a Freddo. Kindness. Affirmation. And I've told you this before. But I, I, once when I was in my mid-twenties, I, I nearly had a breakdown when I was church planting because I was so striving to be accepted by people and to be a success. And it was burning me out. And I remember standing by a rubbish skip. I've told you this. And God just saying to me, yeah, your preaching's not very good. Your pastoral care is shocking. I was just going down this list in my heart. Then he said to me, but you're my son and I love you. And I looked up my little concordance, my little Bible had with me. Romans 8.15, by the Holy Spirit require have a father and know that we're sons of God. It made all the difference to me. When I was a student, I'd just come to Christ. I, was, uh, I didn't go home in, in the summer holidays, pretty much. I just stayed there and I, I normally got a job and I was doing a night shift cleaning toilets at Birmingham Airport. And um, I was on my own in a, in a student house, which is like something out of the young ones. Anyone ever watched it? I mean, it's pretty terrible. Um, uh, and, and I had a black and white TV. And I was quite excited about watching the Chris Eubank and Nigel Ben fight at the time. And I turned it on, the TV broke. And I was sitting in this seat and I'd run out of milk because so I was drinking black tea, which I hate. I didn't have any sugar. And I thought my life is just misery. What I wanted to do was watch a boxing. I can't even do that couldn't find a radio and for for those of you that are younger this is pre-smartphones so there was no texting I didn't have a mobile phone in fact amazingly I did an engineering degree without a computer incredible and we had Betamax and all sorts of stuff like that but I was sitting there in this 
horrible old armchair, couldn't watch the boxing, cup of tea without milk, no sugar, no freddos, no nothing, on my own. And I felt utterly, utterly miserable. And in the silence, with my head in my hands, I felt God say to me, what are you moaning for? You are worth dying for. Which just changes everything, doesn't it? You're worth dying for. And then you link that to this. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased, who I'm sending to suffer and die. So that a bloke sitting in an old armchair in Coventry is moaning about the boxing can be saved. So that a bloke in Madrid who's promoting sex clubs can be radically intercepted on the street. So that a, a person who's planting a church in inner city Birmingham, knocking their guts out, can know the love of God. That's why he died. That and a whole bunch of other reasons. And then we see this amazing picture of the humility of our master and commander, Jesus Christ, who actually humbled himself to be baptised by John to let us all know they had set foot on the planet and they come to save us and fulfil all righteousness. That's amazing. That's the gospel we represent. There's a couple of takeaways there. A, we must never be shy in telling people, going with our gut. That's the least we could do. Another takeaway, if you've not been baptised, who are we to refuse that? When Jesus has set his ordinance in front of us. C, what a model of humility that he would do that and then go to warfare and battle for us and humble himself and, and on the trajectory of death on a cross and resurrection. What, a, what an amazing model of sacrifice and humility to us that is. And, and lastly, maybe D, that whole kind of affirmation thing. This is my son whom I love. Now, I said at the beginning, one of the things that's really blessed me is the way we love one another. And that can be in the big things and in the small things, you know, those little gestures. It can be from a, how are you to popping around someone's house for a cup of tea. It could be cheering someone on before they've even started to do a job. Before they've even done something that's blessed you. I, I, I just finished this. Karen will remember this, but it's got to be, it's got to be 12 years ago. We were at Centre Parks with our kids. And I was, we were watching this toddler trying to climb up uh, a little climbing frame. And the dad was standing underneath saying, oh, you're useless. You're not doing that properly. Oh, do you remember? Oh, it's just horrible. You know, you're not putting your foot in the right place. Oh, you're never going to. You're useless at this. You're fine. And he's just going on and on and on. And I tell you, it took a lot of discipline. <laughs> I'm human thump, to be honest with you. I thought that a lot of us, you know, we might not have experienced that, but we've experienced something like that. And it, it wounds you. goes in a little bit deep. I've met people, mature people, who've who've always had this little thing inside them they weren't good enough because something their mum and dad said or a teacher said. 
Now, I'm not getting into psychobabble here. It's just a fact. You don't see that here. You see God saying, this is my son and my love, before he's even entered his ministry period. And I just want to say that over the years, I've seen many, many people meet the power of the Holy Spirit to undo the legacy of that kind of damage. And it can happen really quickly, you know. The reason that we are charismatic, Pentecostal, whatever you want to call it, actually is less about the gifts for me. It's more about the role of the Holy Spirit in adopting us as God's children. That is a sovereign work of God. And I believe that there's a moment for every believer when we can encounter that and know that. That's why we want to pray for people. That's why we utilize spiritual gifts. Healing can point to that. When God meets with us, it has a profound impact on your life that will never go away. It can undo all of that stuff. You see it here. That's why we pray for people, in part. That's why we want to pray for people. So